Well, as has been noted several times by now, we are continuing on in Advent. It is our second week. Uh, Last week, if you will uh, remember, Aaron preached out of Romans 15, and the key passage uh, that he preached from was 15.4. If you weren't here, let me read it. Um, It says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So when it talks about the scriptures, it's not just talking about New Testament. In fact, this is the New Testament talking about scriptures, which means it's the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is written down for our encouragement and for our hope, a.k.a. Paul in Romans is reminding us we ignore the Old Testament at our peril. And so it's, it's no wonder that we're entering in now to a second week where we've looked at the value of Old Testament scriptures. That was what we did the first week. And the reason for that is because on Christmas Eve, we're going to celebrate the coming king. And we're going to celebrate in a way that is, is hopefully in connection with uh, what Galatians 4 says. In Galatians 4, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Time is pregnant with purpose, and it's going to give birth on Christmas Eve with God's eternal plan. If we don't prepare for that appropriately, we'll miss it. And so we go now into these Old Testament passages, and I'm going to warn you, the snorkel gear that you came in here with is not going to be sufficient. We're going to need to go ahead and put that aside and put that on the dock, and we're going to need to go ahead and put that heavy tank on. And we're going to need to work on that regulator a little bit. If you've never been diving, which I never have been, but this is what they do. This is what, I don't know what they're doing, but this is what they do. And so if, I don't know how that works, but anyways, we're doing this. And so if, if you've you got to get on your, your diving gear here this morning, because we're going to get a little bit deeper for a little bit longer than what a snorkel uh, will uh, really be able to let you do. Because we're going to dig through a lot of scripture, all for a purpose, And that is ultimately this, that Jesus truly is our true and greater high priest. We can't understand that without first digging through uh, a lot of things that we read, like through our our annual reading plans. If you've ever done an annual reading plan, you read through them, you go, I don't know what that is, but that sounds good. Moving on to the next one, because you know, the next day is here. And so that's, uh, hopefully, we'll make some sense of those types of experience today. But there really is too much to cover when we start thinking about all the things that God wrote down for our encouragement. But our hope through Advent is not just to say, hey, look, the Old Testament is super important, but now here's three things about the Old Testament that are really important. And so we're going to tackle those one week at a time. And those three things are the three offices which Jesus came to fulfill of prophet, priest, and king. There were three offices in the Old Testament that helped govern and rule the nation of Israel, priest, prophet, and king. And so if you look at Old Testament prophecies to look at how Jesus fulfilled all those, what you'll start to find is that no stone has been uncovered or left uncovered for Jesus to come and fulfill all of it. So first, if you just look at Deuteronomy 18, it's going to come up on the screen. You don't have to go there. But Deuteronomy 18 talks about a prophet that will come. We're going to end our, 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 our Advent journey with prophet, right? But we'll start it today. It says this in Deuteronomy 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. This prophet is coming. He's going to be Jewish. He's going to be amongst you. Moses was going to say, you must listen to him. But prophet is one thing. King is quite another. 
And so a prophecy was given to David many, many years later in 2 Samuel 7. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you're dead, David, I'm still doing a work. I will raise up your offspring after you and you shall come, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, that could be Solomon, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, which is clearly a message about the Messiah. But today we're not gonna talk about prophet or king. Instead, we're gonna talk about the priest. Before we get there, you may ask yourself, why do I need to hear about prophet, priest, and king through Advent? Uh, it's a question I've asked myself a lot uh, as I've purposed to do this and planned this out many weeks ago. I'm like, that's what we'll do. And now we're in it. I'm going, why are we doing this? I actually, I lost sight of that. Well, November, December, and then January are the three most depressing months of the year. If you don't know that statistically in our country, that's the truth. November culminates in Thanksgiving, which is really our first reminder that things are not as they should be. And then it continues on into a long season of busyness, of hurriedness, and reminders that we have not cared for ourselves as we ought. Giving birth then to Christmas when we get our second reminder Things are not as they should be. Moving into January, we then purpose to become new people, in which we have no power to become without the power of the Spirit. And then in January, pastors' appointments get filled up, and therapists and psychologists get filled up like crazy in December and January. Why? You know that January on the calendar year is the most popular month of the year or the, uh, where most depressions get diagnosed. It's January. Right after the new year came. It's because we journey through this darkness and it's also winter. And then we purpose to become something new. And you know, come, out, come to find out about January 15th, we're the same guy, we're the same lady. And, 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 and that's why we need to be reminded of prophet, priest, and king. And maybe you're thinking, yes, don't get the connection. That's okay. First off, if you're suffering through this season, I'm gonna be with you like for real with you. I can be just totally candid here. My week was not what you think it was. There were, there were several days where I'm just battling with the enemy about lies about what he's trying to tell me who I am, why I'm here, what you want me to do as parishioners and congregation of the Grove. There's, he's, he's whispering lies to me. And, and Monday to Friday, just battling through to make sure that by Sunday, number one, I got something to say. Number two, it's been said to me first. I've been reminded of who I am by being reminded of who God is. So if you're struggling and you're suffering, don't, don't suffer silently. Please don't suffer alone. Would you come and talk to one of us, one of the leaders or deacons or elders or me or Melissa or whomever you feel comfortable with, don't go at this alone. You're not alone in your suffering. I can tell you that firsthand because I'm suffering with you. So that's first. Second, we, we just read from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to read a lot more from the book of Hebrews. As we do, the book of Hebrews was written to a people who were suffering greatly. They had given up 
their Jewish roots and their Jewish identity and that reminder that things are not as they should be was sitting down on them in heaviness. They were being persecuted for giving up uh, the Jewish way and now we're starting to follow Jesus and the book of Hebrews has got some strong warnings in it because this group of people were actually considering giving up on Jesus and returning back to their Jewish roots. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if you ever felt like this Christianity thing doesn't work, like it didn't fix my marriage and I tried it out for a year. By the way, if that's you, you missed it. It's not supposed to work. It's supposed to reform you. And so you get close to Jesus and you realize my marriage is not the only thing that's messed up. I'm messed up. And that's why my marriage is messed up. If this doesn't get fixed, this never gets fixed. And Jesus came to fix all that. And so Hebrews was written to these people that, that just that had, had this feeling that, Je, that Jesus was, was, was absent. And I just wonder if you've ever had the point this week or somewhere recently where you've thrown prayers up to Jesus and you just feel like he's, he's distant and he's not listening to you or maybe he's absent or he's busy with someone else that he likes better than you. I don't know if you've ever felt that. And you're just, you're just thinking to yourself, man, like these prayers are pointless. It's not going to fix what's broken in the world. It's not going to fix what's broken in my life. It certainly doesn't have the power to fix what's broken in my heart because I just continue to experience the same old brokenness week in and week out, year in and year out. But the author, author of Hebrews helps us understand the priesthood of God in ways that are more relevant than we might imagine. Because there are, all throughout Hebrews, there are 34 times that God uses the word priest or mediator. That's a lot, if you haven't figured that out. That's a lot of references to Jesus as priest. And 34 times out of 34, he either references Jesus directly or indirectly, and he's comparing him to priests of old. And so the author of Hebrews isn't telling us, like, you know, put life in order prioritize self-care. He's instead drawing us near to say, look, your life is a mess. You're being persecuted. You may be suffering and feel alone. And the one main comfort I have for you is the priesthood of Jesus. Seems odd to me. Well, why is it that the priesthood that Jesus, the true and better high priest, is so encouraging and was so encouraging for those Christians long ago. And why is it a comfort for us now? First and foremost, it's comforting for us because it fulfills prophecy. It fulfills prophecy. This, this idea that Jesus is a priest fulfills prophecy. And when God fulfills prophecy, that should be a comfort for us. I'll unpack that in a minute. First, what's the prophecy? Well, in Psalm 110, there's this prophecy about this priest who will come. In Psalm 110, it's in the middle of your Bible. And by the way, I always encourage you to bring a paper Bible because um, like, this is why we don't bring paper Bibles uh, to church. Number one, they're inconvenient. Number two, when the pastor says, turn to Psalm 110, or dare I say, Lamentations or something like that, you go, oh, I didn't bring my Bible today. I don't even know where that is. So we're going to put that aside. Mm. But like, what great reminder for us to, to, to want to know where things are than our neighbor looking at us and going, you don't know where that is, do you? <laughs> and oh, by the way, why don't you tell him to go find Zephaniah? 
or Jonah. Go find Jonah. Just uh, And all y'all right now are telling me, you, in your mind, you've got the, the, the words of that song in your mind. All that you grew up in church, got the words of the song in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have that song because I didn't grow up in church. So, <laughs> or at least not a church that gave us the song. Instead, Psalm 110 is here. So bring your Bible. Let's open it up. Let's like, just look at it, right? This is what it says in Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Skip down to verse four. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'm sorry, who? You didn't name your son Melchizedek. You didn't do it. Uh, number one, because we don't quite understand who this Melchizedek figure is until today. And so you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And I'm going to be really candid with you. Psalm 110 is a very difficult passage to interpret. And so let's not rest on my um, version of what Psalm 110 should say. Uh, let's rest our thoughts about what Psalm 10, 110 means by looking at the words of the greatest Bible interpreter of all time. And his name is Jesus. At the end of his life, he, he asks these, these Pharisees these questions, right? They've been asking him questions, and all of a sudden he kind of flips it, and he asks them a question. And he says, basically, who do you think I am? And they are purporting and assuming that he is, or that the Messiah should be a son of David. And Jesus says this in Matthew, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just gonna read it. He says, if then David calls this Messiah Lord, how is he also David's son? And no one, it says, was able to answer him a word, nor from that day anyone care to ask him any more questions. AKA, this is the drop the mic moment at the end of Jesus' life where he says, if you think that the Messiah must be the son of David, how is it that David calls him Lord? Because this is a Psalm of David in Psalm 110, and he quotes this first passage when it says, the Lord says to my Lord. All right, unpacking this. Remember I told you there's snorkel gear that is not gonna be sufficient. Scuba dive deer, here we are, right? Bible study note, when it says L-O-R-D, and it's, all, and it's small caps. That is a reference to Yahweh. This majestic name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh says to Adonai, my Lord. And what Jesus is telling us, I'm Adonai. I'm my Lord. I'm the one that Yahweh purposed long ago. I'm the second my Lord says to my Lord in Psalm 110. And what does Yahweh say about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ that was to come? He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Have you ever seen anybody using a footstool that was anxious? I don't know of a soul. Like I can't, you can't prop your feet up on an ottoman and at the same time not be relaxed. Like it's just a posture of work is over, I'm hanging out and life is good. At least when I put my feet up on something, I'm usually just like, dude, just, just everything is good right now. Or at least I want everything to be good, one or the other. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and there's a promise, your enemies will be the ottoman. Your enemies are gonna be your footstool. You're gonna be able to relax Messiah, because your enemies will be vanquished, defeated forever, and you're going to be so close to me. 
Messiah King. You're right here. And everything's going to be taken care of. Whatever, see this, this, this proximity of our priest sits at the right hand of the Father. The Lord, Yahweh, says to Adonai, my Lord, which is now Jesus saying, I'm him. I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that was appointed to sit at the right hand of the Father until he makes my enemies my footstool. He, Jesus could not be more relaxed in these moments because he is waiting for the father to, father to one day put his enemies at his feet. And so it, for me, it, it invites us into believe. It invites us to believe that Jesus's enemies are defeated in some ways and will be ultimately defeated and under his feet and pose no threat to him. And if you're his, whatever is coming against you during this season of darkness, which statistically we're all in, whether you believe it or not, whether we've, or whether you feel it or not, either it's you or your neighbor, either you or your spouse, you or your kids, whatever wars against your soul will one day put, be put under Jesus' feet forever. He will prop his feet on your greatest enemy. And if God can be trusted with prophecy, which lasted a thousand years before Jesus fulfilled it in this way, surely he can be trusted to war with you and for you for the greater and deeper trust that God wants for you in his son. See, it fulfills prophecy, right? And when it fulfills prophecy, it reminds us that God is faithful. It reminds us that he's powerful, and all of a sudden, we're comforted that God has a plan. But it's not just a plan to put his enemies at his feet. Again, if you go down to verse 4, the Lord, Yahweh, has sworn, and he will not change his mind. This is going to happen that this Lord, this Adonai that he talks about, this Jesus, this Messiah, yes, he will come, and, and his enemies will be put underneath his feet, and he will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If we're going to understand the priesthood of Jesus, we've got to understand, yes, this prophecy that's come, but this prophecy then says, but we're not done digging into the Old Testament for your encouragement and hope. So, first reason why the priesthood of Jesus is encouraging for us, it fulfills prophecy. Second reason, it explains scripture, it explains history. So, in your Bible, hopefully you have one. If you don't, it will come up again, or you can pull it up on your phone. Go back then to Genesis 14. There are two references to this guy named Melchizedek in the Old Testament. One we just read in Psalm 110, verse 4. The other is in Genesis 14. So some background to Genesis 14. Abraham and Lot have come together. God has blessed Abraham. He promised a blessing to Abraham of, of land and descendants and a posture of blessing to Abraham. And so far, what's come true is blessing. God has so blessed Abraham and his flocks and Lot with his flocks that the land cannot handle both of them. So they separate. Lot goes down to Sodom. We know what happens there a few, few chapters later. And Abraham goes to the promised land. It doesn't look as good, but he's gonna take what God's given him, right? Now, all of a sudden, what we don't, what we know about, about history is that up here in Babylon and down here in Egypt, if I had a map and I planned this out, this would be a lot better, but instead you'll just see me do this, jazz hands, okay? So, so Babylon, jazz hand number one, and Egypt, jazz hand number two, in the middle, if you look at your map, is Israel. This is called the King's Highway. This is also where all the major trade routes still go. 
It's where they definitely went back then. If you wanted to go from Babylon to Egypt and not die in a desert somewhere, you had to run through Israel. Why has it always been in conflict? Because kings want control over the trade routes. Okay, so what we find is in Genesis 14, there are battles waging over the king's valley, so to speak, over these trade routes, and Lot gets swept up into it. Lot gets captured by a guy by the name I'm just going to call Chet. Okay, and you're going to see why. You tell me what it says and how to pronounce it. All right? Okay, I'm just telling you right now. So here it is. It's explaining history. This is all what's going on, still relevant for Israel right now, right? Everybody wants to push Israel in the sea because the Jews are in the way of how the Arabs want to do life. That's just, that's how it is. Okay? And so that's, that's, that's where we are. So that's where we are in history. That's where we are right now. And so as we, as we go into Genesis 14, that's the backdrop that the lot has been captured by Chet. And Abraham defeated him. Abraham with 318 men. So these battles are waging between kingdoms and Chet overcomes. And now all of a sudden Abraham goes out with 318 men and takes down Chet. And so now all of a sudden this guy named Melchizedek comes on the scene. Here we go, verse 17 of Genesis 14. After his return from the defeat of Chet, do you know how to say that word? Blue Letter Bible, I looked it up this morning. He didn't help me. Yep, Chet. After his return from the defeat of Chet and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And guess who rolls in? Melchizedek. What? King of Salem, he brought out bread and wine. And he was the priest of the God Most High. And what did he do? He blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor or creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your hands into your, your enemies into your hand. And Abraham, Abram gave him a tenth or a tithe of everything. This is the only time that Melchizedek pops up in scripture. Historically. Just in and out, boop, boop. Little blip on history, just this one little point. It's the only time that he shows up in the Old Testament except for Psalm 110. And what do we find happening? Well, Melchizedek, it is explained that he is both a king and a priest, which was forbidden in the Old Testament. I'll explain that in a minute. His name, Melchizedek, is the two, a combination of two Hebrew words, Melech meaning king, and Zedek meaning righteousness. He was also king of a place called Salem, or peace, shalom, also known as Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city of peace. He's the priest of the God Most High. Who is he talking about? Who is this guy that Abram would give him a tenth of all of his blessing? God blessed him and he gave him a tenth of everything? All right, I'm just gonna go on record and say this, right? I believe this is Jesus. Now you may not and that's okay. But you have to agree or what you, because I mean the bread and wine thing, like, who brings bread and wine? Jesus. Like to a party, the first guy that does it is Melchizedek, and then the New Testament says, you're a priest like that guy, the guy that brought bread and wine. So I'm, on rec I'm gonna go on record and say, I think this is truly, I think it really is pre-incarnate Jesus. Like if you think he doesn't do that, he also raises from the dead, so you gotta deal with that too. 
pre-incarnate Jesus, and if that's too much to bear, you at least have to agree that this is the shadow to the substance of Jesus. In other words, it's, it's what's pointing to Jesus. So therefore, Melchizedek is important for us because it's pointing to Jesus, and we want to know about Jesus. And what I love about this, he says that you are blessed. Abram, remember when God told, told you that you were going to be blessed? Well, the defeat of your enemies, remember Psalm 110, that God's going to put your enemies at your footstool? How do we know that God's going to do the same thing in the future that he's done in the past? Because we can look at prophecy, we can look at Old Testament, we find hope and encouragement, right? To see his character, to see what he's up to. And what I love about Abram's response, he's never commanded to give to Melchizedek. Instead, he does it of generosity. All right, two weeks ago, I told you guys not to tithe. You remember that? Remember? Because this is where it comes from. And here's why. Because the standard for generosity is not a percentage. The standard for generosity is Jesus, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek who came and gave all of himself for you. He didn't just show up at one point in history. He is the point of history. Period. End of story. And so when I tell you like things like, hey, don't tithe, what I'm really saying is, don't like, be satisfied with a standard like that. Instead, think about what God wants you to do and give out of how you believe God has given to you. Has he, has he given you 10% of himself? Some of us may believe that. He's given all of himself. He's, he's not spared even the perfect, spotless lamb of God. And then to seal it for you, he gave you the spirit the third person of the Trinity to live inside of us, to encourage us, counsel us, comfort us along the way, instruct us, convict us. Oh man, I didn't know that. Okay, well that's with the Holy Spirit. Like you're not supposed to have been arrived. It's a series of arriving. And so like what a beautiful picture of generosity, what a beautiful picture of God explaining history, of going, okay, who's this Melchizedek guy in Genesis 14? He's then picked up again in Psalm 110, and now we're gonna move to where he's really talked about. And if you're doing the read scripture plan, which I know there's at least one of us in here, you just read all the book of Hebrews this week if you're on time, which I was not for many days of the year. But I am now because I had to read Hebrews, all of Hebrews. You just read Hebrews this week and all of a sudden this Melchizedek character becomes front and center because where he was only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, he is mentioned eight times in the book of Hebrews. So why is this priesthood helpful for us? It fulfills prophecy. It explains history. Also, it points to God's character. Read with me Hebrews chapter six, verses 19 through 7, 3. You guys thought I was pretty cool pulling out like Melech and Zedek. Probably didn't think I was cool at all. You thought I was, I was pretty nerdy, dude. Actually, I just read uh, Hebrews 7. We'll get there. Hebrews 6, 19. Look, this is an encouragement to you. If you haven't read this verse in a long time, here it is. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope certainty of God's character that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where you once couldn't go for all of your life, for all of history. You couldn't go into that curtain. Only one priest went in there one day a year. But now that hope enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. I love that phrase. He slaughtered the kings and then God blessed him. And to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Oh. And then he's also king of Salem, that is the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues as a priest forever. This is God's character. And you may think to yourself, well, why is this necessary? Again, there are three offices in the Old Testament. I'm gonna be quick now. King, priest, and prophet. The, the prophet could really come from any tribe, but the king had to come from the tribe of Judah. And if you look at Matthew and Luke, what you'll find is that both of his genealogies run back through to Judah, to David. He was from the tribe of Judah. Lion of Judah, we sing about like the lion in the land, the lion of Judah. It's the king of the tribe of Judah. History lesson. That's where the kings had to come from in Old Testament. Where did the priests come from? They came from the tribe of Levi. They were appointed to look after the temple to receive uh, sacrifices and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. They were the priests. One big problem with Jesus. He had no Levitical line because he was full-blooded both through Mary and through his adopted stepfather of back through Joseph. And through all the way back to David. So he's got the line of Judah in him. He is destined to be a king. How then can he be prophet? Through the order of Melchizedek. Through the order of this person who had no genealogy. You can't trace it. Instead he was just plopped into history a long time ago. A long before Jesus. So that Jesus can be priest forever. So here's what I love about this and why this brings me great comfort during Advent. It helps us understand the character of our God that he wastes nothing. He wastes nothing in your life. This one little blip in Genesis 14, we could have gone without that. He could have taught us about a tithe or generosity in some other way. He could have prophesied about the priesthood of Jesus in some different way, but instead in his, like, if we're going to look at like Christmas Eve, the fullness of time that God has prepared and, and, and destined and purposed all things for all time for his glory and our good. If Melchizedek does nothing else, let us be reminded of God's character, of his faithfulness, of his creativity. Who comes up with like the greatest storyteller in the world? I don't know who that is. Let's call it C.S. Lewis or J.K. Rowling. Or maybe whoever did all the Marvel, Marvel stuff. I don't know. But God is much better than all of that. To be able to put the, like you ever watch the Marvel movies and you're like, how did they know back with that one, Iron Man, that like Nick Fury was going to do show up at the end with this little blip and then like invite everybody into the Avengers. I didn't see that. I had to go back and look at that and be like, oh my gosh, they've been planning this for like 15 years. God has been planning this for eternity. I'm impressed by the Marvel makers. Oh my gosh. What about the maker of everything? Come on, Carol. <laughs> every fulfilled prophecy, every avenue through which God fulfills that prophecy points to the faithfulness, the creativity, the goodness, and the sovereignty of God. Let that fulfillment of God's promises remind you and me that no matter what circumstances we are in, y'all, God is faithful 
He's creative. He's going to figure out a way. Or he probably already has. No, not probably. He's already figured out the way. He's, he's faithful. He's creative. He's good. And he's sovereign. There are absolutely no accidents in the kingdom of God. Zero. So it brings us to our final and fourth point. You thought you were getting three today. Bonus point. The last reason why we need not, why we, why we need to be encouraged by the priesthood of God is it means this. We need not fear God's disapproval. We need not fear God's disapproval of us. It's been given to us. Have you read? Have you, have you read the Old Testament? Have you heard about guys by the name of Moses? You heard all the good stuff that your mom and dad told you. But if you read it for yourself, you realize he was a murderer. Have you heard about a guy named David? You, read, you heard all the good stuff about David, that he was a great king. Until you read it as an adult, you realize, well, he took another man's wife and then had that man killed in battle. That's the man after God's own heart? Well, surely I can be after God's own heart if he can. Have you read about a guy named Solomon who had all the wisdom that God possessed and yet didn't have the wisdom to say no? I gotta have more of that. More riches, more women, more power. Have you read about a guy by the name of Peter who couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth? He liked the taste. <laughs> have you read about a guy by the name of Thomas who said, yeah, 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 cool guys, he appeared to you, he didn't come to me. So until he comes to me, until I put my finger in his side, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna physically abuse the Savior? I ain't believing. Jesus comes. Thomas, peace be with you. Come. Touch whatever you need to believe, my brother. Believe. Have, have you read this story? That we don't have to be afraid of God's approval, and therefore we don't, we don't approach God with trepidation, but with confidence? See, the thing is, like all these stories, when we start thinking about Moses and David and all these scriptures were written to encourage us. They were not written, listen, American Christians, they were not written to make your life work. They were written, friends, to make sense of your life when it doesn't work. And it's not going to. Mine's not either. You're going to find plenty of displeasure with me along the way. Right? Oh, man, I thought you were a pastor. I am. Forgiven. By grace. Still, still processing. Still, still yearning for the measure of holiness. Just like you. That if I died tomorrow, I would still be like, dude, I had so much more that I wanted to become. And I would imagine you too. Right? So we don't have to fear one another's disapproval. We certainly don't have to fear God's disapproval. And let me read with you and for you this last passage. And then I'll say a few more things. And then we'll be done. Right? Hebrews 7, 25 to 8 to, which we read a, a good portion of this. So he, he, he's a priesthood, right? It's permanent. It continues forever. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Love that. Not an ounce of you that isn't saved. Those who draw near to God through Jesus. You can't draw near to God without Jesus. If you do, you're fooling yourselves. If, if it's only for those who draw near to God through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them the people that believe. 
For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Oh, what was this high priest like? What was his character like? Holy, perfect, set apart, innocent, without stain, unstained, separated from sinners, although he hung out with a lot of sinners, did he not? This is part talking about his character, not about his habits. So don't use this as an excuse to be like, no, pastor, I won't go and do that. Like, go and do that, but don't be stained by it. Do it for the glory of God. Right? Okay, so he's exalted above the heavens. I don't know where the heavens are, but Jesus is exalted above that. And he has no need. He has no need. Like those high priests to, so- to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the, people, uh, of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, not an external sacrifice of lamb or goat or bull or ram or a dove or anything else, but himself, did he lay himself on the altar? For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Are you seeing the word of the oath, the promise from Psalm 110, 1 and 4, which has its historical roots in Genesis 14? I know this is a lot. Just hang with me. Now the point. Oh, we wanted to know the point. The point And what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, a servant in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Look, Jesus as the true and better high priest means that we have someone who never takes a break from interceding for you, for praying for you. It is constant and it is consistent and he never takes a break from that work. He is at, in the bosom of the Father. Remember the promise? You sit at my right hand. I guess it's over here, actually. You sit at my right hand. And one day I'm gonna make your enemies a footstool. Well, before that, what's he doing? Just hanging out, adoring the Father? Yes. And also praying for you? Interceding for you? See, you never suffer alone, even when you feel it. You are never at a point also where you don't need prayer. So in the American world, we, we, we come to the point where we like don't need Jesus and like all of our life is set up to where we just don't want to need other people. And what if God and his intercession for us is a great reminder that he's come to rescue us from that kind of life? That we always need prayer. We're always in need. We're always broken. We're always insufficient. But he's, he is sufficient for us. He is the, the, the holiness, he is the shalom, the peace that we need. So let's depend on him because he's praying for us. Jesus as the true and better high priest means that we have someone who is perfect, who has atoned for us. God doesn't have to look past your priest's sin in order to accept your sacrifice. Instead, he accepts the son's sacrifice and fully accepts you as perfect for he is perfect. And this high priest sympathizes with our struggle with sin. If you were to go to Hebrews 4, which I have to now, Look at what it says. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, oh, sorry, I got lost. Let us then draw uh, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in a time of need. the, The throne room that wrecked Isaiah in Isaiah 6, where he saw the holiness of God and he went, I am about to die, that throne room that wrecked him, Jesus goes in, makes peace on our behalf, and then says, come near. 
the throne of grace, not just holiness. The throne of forgiveness. And if you come to this place and cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, he will give you mercy. Jesus, our great high priest. This true and better high priest means that we have complete forgiveness consistent and continuously. Uh, If you don't know this, uh, there was not chairs in the tabernacle because the priest could never sit down because he was always working. And Jesus is found where? Sitting. The high priest, the work is finished, the atonement is done consistently, continuously, forever and ever. We have that forgiveness if we believe in the Son that said it is finished on the cross. It truly was and he sits down as high priest, something that no high priest had ever done before. That should cause all of our anxieties to take a a, a second position to the seated Messiah on our behalf because he's finished. I'm not, but he is. And it should cause me or invites me to believe that that finished work for, on my behalf is finished. It's done. And so if you don't know this, I grew up, um, I grew up in a Catholic church. So I, I referenced a church that didn't talk about the songs. Um, I grew up in a Catholic church and so I didn't like CCE very much and I made my wife, or my wife, hello, that's a Freudian slip. My mom, um, <laughs> awkward. Uh, I, uh, I made my mom like, like fight to get me to CCE and I made my mom, sorry, get me, like fight to get me to church whenever I went, but I didn't go very often so I didn't know those little songs but what I did know is the sacramental structure and I also know and still know that at the end of that sacramental structure is the last rites. So if you go to a hospital anywhere around here, there's always going to be a Catholic priest on call because if they're not on call and someone dies, a Catholic, without receiving last rites, they may go to hell. And so that priest is there to come in and speak a word of blessing, of forgiveness, and ask God to receive the sacrifice of this final sacrament to receive this saint into eternity. Hey, look, I grew up this way, all right? I'm not bashing any of that. I do think, though, that those that are uh, purporting that type of doctrine know exactly what they're doing. And it's, it, to be quite frank, it's heresy. It's not the gospel. And so I pray for my Catholic brethren. I, I, I want them to see the truth. And so I want to draw near to them as God has drawn near to me. I didn't deserve to get rescued from the darkness that I was in, Catholic church or whatever else I was believing. But instead, There's a greater hope for us than that, than for a man to come and pronounce forgiveness over me in my dying moments. Friends, you're either Catholic in here, you're functionally Catholic, could be, or you've got some friends and neighbors and coworkers that are Catholic. There is a greater hope than that promise. That the promise of God is that we are fully forgiven by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, based on the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. And that's what we believe as Christians, that God has come to save us once and for all, that it truly is finished on the cross, and so we don't have to worry about God's disapproval of us. We don't have to worry about whether or not we've done enough things or said enough things or called the right people in at the right moment before we perish. When Christ came, he died on our behalf that we might live. See, back to Galatians 5, when we get there at some point, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not to bondage, 
Not to lies, not to half-truths, but to freedom. And this Jesus sat down at the right hand and gave us a better hope. Also gave us this intimate access to the creator of all things that we need no mediator except Jesus himself to go to God on our behalf. We don't have to wait for them to be available. We don't have to wait for their calendar to open up. Is this good news? That Jesus isn't busy. He's also not sleeping. He's available at all times and he has full access to the Father. So friends, though he may feel distant to you, I assure you, he is anything but. I assure you that because Jesus is close to the Father, you then are close to the Father. Because he is right there, so then are you. You don't have to like push your way in past the crowd to get close to Jesus. He's, he's here, he's with us. For this is the great promise of Advent. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord, Would you make sense, you have made sense of all these things. You've made sense of it all because you wrote it all and so these little pieces of the puzzle remind us that we're not in control. Remind us that we have, we, we, we think we know what we're doing with our lives and we were also reminded that man, you are, you are writing a story that was far beyond our comprehension, comprehension and written from beginning to end. Like it's already written, we just need to trust. We need to obey. We need to continue to follow. And we're not following some far distant God who doesn't understand exactly what we're dealing with. We're following a God who's here, who's promised to be with us through his spirit, who left the majesties of heaven, came and dwelled with us as a man, who knew what it was like to suffer as a human lived sinlessly, died horribly, rose victoriously. Let us not lose sight. Like those first century Christians who were losing sight, going, man, I don't, I, I don't know if my life's gonna work out. I don't know if this Christianity thing works, I don't, I mean, like, I'm still depressed, I'm still anxious, I'm still overspending, I'm still looking at the things I don't need to look at on the internet, I'm still, uh, I'm still drinking too much, I'm still treating myself with sin instead of trusting the Savior, I, I don't know. Well, the writer of Hebrews invites us to draw near to the throne of grace confidently in deep and abiding trust and the true and better high priest who loves us dearly. Would we believe these things? As we sing these things and as we respond, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Let us not just start checking off all the things we gotta do this afternoon in our mind. Let us just be present because we know you're present. We're grateful in Christ's name, amen.